Hello, I'm Drew Cat, a Choices Director of State Research and Policy Analysis, and today I'm in the studio to introduce our listeners to a researcher to watch. I'm here with John Mills, Senior Research Associate in the Department of Education Reform at the University of Arkansas and former postdoctoral fellow with the Education Research Alliance for New Orleans. Thanks for joining me today, John. Yeah, thanks for having me out, Drew. Yeah, so John, would you mind introducing yourself and telling us a little about what attracted you to issues in K-12 education and school choice? Yeah, my interest in K-12 education stemmed from back when I was a kid. Like, I, I had great experiences with my own. Education was an important part of my life growing up. I had, you know, like everyone, we all have those those key teachers that make you want to go in to, like, consider teaching. Actually, when I was an undergrad initially, I had gone in for engineering and very quickly had my, you know, crisis of who am I, and, and it really was I wanted, to, I wanted to be a teacher. Over time, I found my way into economics, and I studied labor issues or specifically issues around education because I was still very much so interested in how education, the important role in which education can play in shaping individuals' lives and creating opportunities for them. And um, for a similar reason, that's how I found my interest in school choice research. So I study charter school, I study public school choice, I've studied private school choice like Louisiana Voucher Program, and it's all kind of been motivated by this interest in creating opportunities for individuals to kind of seek out better matches of their ed- educational needs and matched with the offerings of schools. I've gotten to see firsthand how in choice environments, schools have to view their, their, the families as consumers of their education, they have to reach out. And that, I think that that process in and of itself can promote a lot of positive experiences in education that, that just, those are the types of things that motivates me when, I, when I'm thinking about doing a study or why I'm in, in this field in the first place. Yeah, so it sounds like the it's about finding the best fit educational environment for each student. Yes, exactly. Uh, studying systems that can facilitate the opportunity to find the best fit. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm sure within that, it's it's very clear how powerful information can be. Yeah, obviously, information plays an extremely important role. And so, as I said, my background's in economics, and economics, you know, the informed consumer is one of the most important assumptions of, of, that, of that field. But one thing that I think is lost on people is that information can take a lot of different roles. Like typically from a policy perspective, we'll think of information as simply providing information about schools. How are they performing by some metric? Are they moving student achievement? Are parents satisfied with them? But then also some more of my uh, recent research has been looking into the important role that experience, like actually having a one-on-one experience in a school environment or with some type of mentor, how that can, that is a, no, a new type of information. And that also is going to fully inform one experience and how they learn to become educated consumers of education, like taking control of their, of, of their own educational experiences. So those are some of the things that we like down at Arkansas that we're looking at. Yeah. And it's personally, I've been a college mentor and a college coach before. And just from that side of things, it was so powerful just to see the one student that I was interacting with and kind of helping them from being the first in their family to apply for college to actually navigate that system, let alone what it would be like for, say, a student switching from a public district school to a charter school or to a private school through a voucher program. I'm sure that would be a very interesting transition that I'm sure it would be beneficial to have 
someone helping them along the way outside of their family. Yeah, yeah, especially, I mean, I think it's a, the link to higher ed is a, that's a great example because, so I have some uh, research where I'm looking at first generation college students and something that, you know, a lot of these interventions kind of fall into two categories. We have financial interventions, let's give them a scholarship. There are support interventions, and I guess there's, so there's three categories. And then the other one is more recently we've seen kind of informational nudges. So getting text messages, you need to move, you need to do these certain things right now. And, it, and, and it's been shown to kind of help students on the margin persist in college. But one of the things that's not really being explored is just that importance of, like, when you think about a first-generation college student, one thing that they don't necessarily have in their world is just someone that they can call and talk to about the struggles they're experiencing in their first semester in college. I mean, all of us, if, you, if, you, if you've gone to college, you realize this is a different, it's a different beast. And it was nice for me to be able to call my mom and say, this is a lot harder than I thought it was. And I'm, I'm just trying to make these deadlines. And I don't even really know what to do. And to hear from her, yeah, that was the same for me. That, that in of itself, it like calmed me down, right? And first generation students don't have this. And similarly, like you said, students that are taking advantage of choice systems if their families don't necessarily have these social networks or things built up, that's going to produce, one would imagine, initially a struggle. Some, some think that that struggle is, some fear that that struggle is enough to justify not having the choice system in its own. Others, like my good colleague and mentor, uh, Pat Wolf, has done some research showing that actually families, you know, they might struggle initially in this new environment, but like in most situations, they they adapt to that environment. They learn to ask questions differently than they used to. Uh, it might take time, but they can evolve in that experience. And those, again, these are the fun things that we're looking at down in Arkansas right now. Yeah, that's great. So what about some of your other research? Uh, maybe some of your past research or what you're hoping to work on in the future, what you're currently working on? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, the biggest project that I've been working on for years now that stems from my dissertation work is uh, this ongoing evaluation that we have of the Louisiana Scholarship Program. So this is a private school choice program in Louisiana that went statewide in 2012. So I'm working with a group called the School Choice uh, Demonstration Project. It's headed up by Pat Wolf at Arkansas, where we've looked at several dimensions of this program. So my work is largely focused on how using scholarships, using vouchers has impacted student achievement over time. But we have a number of papers. Uh, we've looked at the experiences uh, students with disabilities in the program. We've looked at uh, the competitive effects of the program. So how students in public schools facing increased competition from this choice program, how their achievement was impacted. So we've looked at a, another, a number of dimensions and um, uh, that project's been great in terms of uh, we're, I think that we're really digging into how this program is affecting not just individuals participating in the program, but the system as a whole. So a lot of my, you know, some of my big research interests right now is just delving in further. Like we've done a lot of good causal analysis. So trying to estimate literally how this program has impacted families and, and, and students. But now we want to look, we're trying to dig into what we as researchers call the mediators of the program, but basically why we see the effects that we see. How do the different types of schools that are participating in the program, the private schools, how do their characteristics affect the outcomes that we're seeing? We also see that over time, students who have been given a scholarship and use it to enroll in a private school, we see that they have, a good number of them have opted to have switched back out of the program into public schools. And we're trying to document, one, 
what are the characteristics of those students? What were their experiences like? What would have maybe led to that switch out? And then two, follow them over time and see how their educational experiences after that switch were impacted. Again, if you think about the families as consumers of education, a student leaving the program isn't necessarily a bad thing. It could be reflective of somebody actually determining that this educational environment is just not for me and the public schools are a great option for me. So we're looking into those things, and that's, I think it's pretty exciting stuff. Yeah, and I wonder if the proliferation of the charter sector in New Orleans played an effect at all in that. Yeah, and so we're focusing on the statewide program itself. Mm -hmm. So a lot of our, like if you've seen our achievement effects analyses, a lot of those are actually driven by families outside New Orleans. Okay. However, we have done sub-analyses that have looked at the experiences of students in New Orleans. And it is true that actually the effects are more negative for students using scholarships to go to private schools in New Orleans. And when we dig in deeper, it looks like that's because the control group students, students who stayed with the public option, so in New Orleans, it's all charter schools at this point, they actually were experiencing even even larger gains. My old colleague at Education Research Alliance, uh, Doug Harris, has looked at this. And yeah, he's demonstrated that the post-Katrina reforms have led to markedly positive effects for students. So sometimes, or if you're, certainly if you're, if the control groups have a very good educational environment or an environment where there's rather demonstrated growth, which is what we've seen there, that's, that's why we see these negative effects for private schools in that, in that case. Yeah. yeah and these, these effects are still on the achievement of these standardized tests. Is there anything in the future looking at attainment, whether that's graduation rates or college matriculation? Yes. So it's taken time to get a sufficient sample size to be able to run this analysis. But one of our uh, grad students, uh, Heidi Holmes down at Arkansas, is leading up a portion of the evaluation that's going to be looking at high school attainment. And then uh, specifically, now we're getting in data on college enrollment. Basically, the majority of students who applied to the program in that first year, in which we have lotteries, and that's why we can study these things causally, the majority of students were applying for grades K through 5. But now, because we've tracked enough years, we actually have enough students that could have gone to college. And yeah, so we, I mean, this, these data, we're just getting in now. So I'm excited over the next year to be, hopefully that's something for everybody's radar is that we'll be releasing some research in the next few months. It's looking at how the scholarship program has actually affected attainment and college matriculation. Yep. Yeah, that'll be really interesting to see what those results are like. Uh, so, John, what is it like for you within the university setting to collaborate with other people in your department or with other universities? What's that experience been like for you? Oh, it's fantastic. I was lucky at Arkansas that our department has, we're all quantitative researchers, but our backgrounds are in different areas. And this was also true at Education Research Alliance for New Orleans. So we had people who studied, their training was in public policy. We had um, psychologists. We had economists. And um, at Arkansas, we also have a lot of poli-sci folks. I love being in that environment because you get very different perspectives on the same type of intervention, which I think generally gives a much better and more, it allows for more comprehensive looks at interventions. And uh, similarly, I mean, mixed methods research. So this is research that includes both quantitative elements and qualitative elements. So actually not only just looking at, like my job is basically to hopefully provide a good 30,000-foot perspective on how a program's working. It's great when you get the opportunity to combine that research with 
qualitative researchers who are going into schools and actually trying to do interviews with people to really kind of flesh out how these how these programs are impacting families. Like my in my ideal world, that would be every research team that I work on is going to be a combination of both groups. Because again, a big thing with just policies in general, certainly in education, is that they're typically designed to try and achieve one intended effect. But almost always, if you introduce something new, there's going to be a ton of unintended consequences. Some of those can be very good consequences. Some of them can be bad consequences. And when you, that's like the goal of doing a, if you're going to do an evaluation, you want to do it well and comprehensively to document what did go as expected, what did not go as expected, and how, if people were trying to replicate this, what they should expect. And so, yeah, the academic environment's great because we get a lot of, I get the opportunity to do that. Yeah, and in terms of replication, how important is it to you to have data that you're producing or, you know, understandably, it's if you're getting a data share agreement with the Department of Education, it's typically restricted use and you have to strip out all the personally identifiable information. But how important is it to you as a researcher to work with data that you could potentially share with others or looking at someone else's data set in order to be able to potentially replicate the work that they've done? Yeah, replication is extremely important. When we think about advancing knowledge about how programs work or just generally the, the pursuit of truth, if you relied exclusively on one study or one study of a, a single intervention, there's a good chance so in t- statistics we literally build in the possibility that you might find a significant effect. You might conclude that a program has an effect when it happened due to random chance. If we want to know how these programs work, the extent to which we could pick one up and put it in a different area, we have to fully understand the context of the environment that we're currently working with. And you also have to understand how these programs might work in different areas. And that's why, like, replication is key. You have to be able to see over time if these effects actually pan out or if they're actually just due to, due to random circumstances. So, yeah, it's a, I mean, in terms of just, I think, for all researchers, is you want to be building your data in a way that somebody else could pick it up and run it. Because that's another thing is that other people might have different perspectives. A lot of these analyses are built on assumptions. And it's always helpful when you have somebody else point out, like, oh, maybe this assumption actually doesn't seem to work here. They might have a slightly different take on it. And if that produces different results, then we might be concerned, right? Mm-hmm. And, and we want to know that so we can move forward. Yeah, which is why I always enjoy going to academic research conferences, which I believe we initially met at uh, one of those, the Association for Education, Finance, and Policy a few years ago. But it's it's great to get that pushback from other researchers who are coming at the same issue from a completely different angle or looking at it through, as you were saying, with the different backgrounds of the faculty and staff of the university, looking at the same problem through a different lens. Yeah, so I always personally enjoy hearing other people's perspectives because I think it helps our research become stronger. Yeah, we shouldn't be in the business of satisfying our own egos. And to me, what I try and remind myself and um, my students when I'm working with them is that what we're doing effectively is making an argument. And statistics are part of our tools to support that argument. And they should not be afraid. I shouldn't be afraid of engaging with other researchers. I should actually, it's extremely important that we do engage with other researchers to see how strong our argument actually is. Like, I might be convinced of what I'm doing and what I'm finding, but I want to know the extent to which I can convince somebody else. Because especially with 
well, policy generally, but an education policy, we're dealing with world of uh, scarce resources. So if you went out to academia and asked, you know, pulled every education policy researcher and said, you know, we've got X amount of money, we want to invest in a program, what should we do? I'm going to think that unsurprisingly, that program that they propose is going to look a lot like what their research is showing. And so over time, we have to think about like when uh, distributing scarce resources, it really needs to come down to the strength of your argument, the strength of the evidence rather, supporting these different things. Because the policymakers, they have to make the tough decision of how do we divide up these resources? And so, yeah, that's exactly like you. This is one of the big benefits of academia is that we get to, on a daily basis, I get paid to think and I get paid to engage with other people who are telling me I'm wrong. And I get to try and, you know, learn from those experiences. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, no, it, it totally makes sense. Like, for example, a legislator looking at enacting educational policy in West Virginia would probably tackle it a little bit differently than a legislator in D.C. or in the Louisiana area or Indiana because their community has uh, potentially different needs and looks a little different. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's It is also funny, though, like I do exist in the ivory tower. And um, it's always interesting when you have, I think sometimes people forget that legislators face, like you said, they, they're reacting to their local constituency as they should. And that's going to have certain political factors in which programs that might make tons of sense to an academic, just why it would, it would literally, they, they would serve no purpose for that locality. And um, this is to me a natural thing and a good thing. It's another reason why I think it's very important for um, researchers of policy to really be in- acting and engaging with legislators just to get, a, to get a sense of why things would or wouldn't work. Often those conversations don't necessarily happen, and uh, I think we could all learn a lot from those conversations. Yeah. Any advice for any of the listeners out there that are interested in school choice but haven't necessarily made the deep dive into doing any research themselves or potentially interested in going back to school to learn more about education policy? Oh, yeah. I mean, if you're on the verge, just jump in. Um, <laughs> there are a lot of great resources out here. Um, the The work that you guys do, are doing here at EdChoice is a, is a nice place to start. Your reports are great, very easily readable, and can kind of give you a broad sense of the way, like if you're specifically interested in private choice options, it's a there's a lot of resources there to check into. Yeah, moving forward, again, it's just kind of if you're asking yourself that question, why not just ju- dive in? And you're probably not gonna you're probably not gonna have much trouble. <laughs> yeah, and of course, if you're if you're interested, if that initial jump into uh, learning about private school choice gets you really interested in pursuing a program, I'd always recommend uh, looking into our Ed Policy PhD program at the University of Arkansas. Reach out to Pat Wolf or myself, John Mills. Yeah, that's great to hear. Any last words? Any forthcoming research you'd like to plug other than what we've already discussed? Yeah, I, I think the big thing is, with, like I said, the, we're trying to provide a, a very comprehensive look at the, uh, how the Louisiana Scholarship Program has been affecting families and the education system as a whole down in Louisiana, which is important both for general truth and, and also specifically for policymakers for those families. So I'm just very excited about the upcoming studies. We're going to be looking at attainment. We're going to be continuing our look at achievement and diving into how just some exploratory descriptive studies that are looking at what features of these programs uh, might be explaining the results that we've seen over time. Yeah, that all sounds great. Well, John, thank you so much for sharing some time with us today. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah.
And to our listeners, be sure to subscribe to our podcast for more of our coverage of new school choice research, education reform policy chats, and more. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you soon for more EdChoice Chats.